0: welcome to the milk bar
1: welcome along to episode 570 of the milk bar jason forrest here with you as ever and coming up on the show we'll be having a chat with ej edwards aka the pink panther when it comes to marathon running in costumes he knows a thing or two about it we'll be finding out about he and Stu bailey aka pepper pig have been getting on with funds for nhs charities together in wolverhampton Richard Book joins us for a bit of a chat about not only his athletics career, but also his acting work. Will Natter with Peter Chand. He's a man who knows how to tell a story because he's a storyteller. We'll be hearing from him. Rob Bowers joins us to talk art and some of the fantastic work that he's been up to. Sky Stewart joins us to chat about Black Country Fusion and how the football teams are working through the current crisis. Will Dorrell joins us from Who Farm Animal Kingdom for a natter about their creatures and ensuring that they are kept well and fed during this difficult time. Jan Denning will be on the line for a word or two about Destination Wolverhampton of the Black Country and how now is the time to prepare for a release from lockdown and making sure that we've got venues booked for events taking place over the latter part of this year and into next. And we'll have music conversation with Dark Noise. The boys from the band joining me for that one. That's all coming up on the show today. <laughs> Tall tales, short tales and long tales in this world, although telling a tale without a script can be sometimes tricky. Somebody who knows how to do that is a professional storyteller, all-round nice guy, exceptionally talented Peter Chand, who joins me now. Hello, sir. Hey,
2: Jason. How are you?
1: I'm good and I cannot undersell what you do. It is amazing the way you can draw an audience in, tell them a tale and do it from a traditional background. And all this is floating around in your head, isn't it? Yeah,
2: yeah, it's uh, it's 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 telling stories from the oral tradition. So basically, it's uh, it's hearing a story, sort of filtering it through your own noggin, uh, and then sort of telling it back in your own way. But the the great thing is, is that each time you tell it, it's it's it slightly changes depending on the audience, mm-hmm. depending on your mood, and depending sometimes on just sort of what's happening in the news. So. The fundamental story stays the same, of course, but you know, it's we have room to, the freedom to to manoeuvre around it, which I love. That's that's part of the, the reason why I became a, a full time storyteller like 15 years ago.
1: Well, yeah, you've got a beginning, a middle, and an end, and the journey there is what you make it. And how on earth did you get into storytelling in the first place?
2: Well, it was uh, it was like like a lot of things, Jason. It was it was by accident, really. It was uh, I was it, it took somebody three years to persuade me to go to the storytelling club. And at the time I was working uh, here at the Manda Center we in Wolverhampton uh, on the Lottery. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and storytelling, that's going to be for kids. You know, the same kind of uh, sort of, um, what's the word, Bar- barriers that we face ourselves now when we're trying to sort of get people to come to storytelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, but three years later, it finally got me, took me to a storytelling club uh, in Much Wenlock, just on the edge. Mm-hmm. And I was blown away, really. It was like uh, adults telling stories to other adults, A, I never thought that was a thing, and B, I, I was just mesmerised by these myths and legends, folk stories, and it was like a, a story circle. So by the time it came to me, I think I hadn't planned anything because I wasn't. I just wanted to check it out, you know. And mm-hmm. um, I think I joined two little jokes together to make like a sort of slightly longer joke because I just wanted to be part of it. And I think that's that's the most important part really is that we forget. It's obviously you need to be able to talk, you need to be able to convey a story, but You need to be able to listen as well and and, and that's where all the great stories actually come from, if if you look at it, if you look at it that way, I
1: suppose. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this is a tradition that goes back many, many centuries and it's something that's happened in cultures across the globe. Uh, I I suppose different cultures have different ways of approaching it, but it's only where we've got to today with the likes of TV, cinema, radio drama. They are a way of telling a story the same as this would have been done. However, Previously, it wasn't a team of tens of people bringing together Game of Thrones or the like. It was one man, woman, or child saying what was going on in their world, telling a tale of, of ancestors of, of old, or sharing something they created from their own minds.
2: Hundred percent, yeah, hundred percent. It, it was probably the first, the first form of entertainment. You know what I mean? After maybe beating a little rhythm out on a sort of tree trunk, you know, like a drum. <laughs> But, um, but it is. It's it's ever since ever since humans have been around, and wanted to convey things. You look at these early cave paintings you see in France and Spain, places like that. You know, that's that's the earliest form of, 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 of storytelling, of narrative. Mm-hmm. You know, trying to explain the world around you. Um, and what I like is, as well, if you think about, it, you know, when I when because I, I also do training as well for a, a lot of adults to tell
3: stories, mm-hmm.
2: and, and I often say to them, you know, when you when you look at these cave paintings. So you'll see a person saying, well, listen, I went out hunting and here's the bison or the buffalo, or whatever it may be. Um, but you never, you A, you sort of, you, you always see it out of scale, so the hunter look always looks bigger than than <laughs> what it is in real scale. That's one thing. And maybe I'm wrong, but as far as I've seen, you never see the hunter legging it. You never <laughs> see the hunter going in the opposite direction and think, crikey, look at the size of that slime, you know. It's, it's always I stood up to them, I faced them, and I think whether that's facing, a you know, a bison or whether it's like a story about somebody being in the deep dark woods and facing their fears, it's just a need, it's, it's a need that we all have, and, and stories are everywhere, whether it's an episode of EastEnders, for example, or whether it's a Shakespearean play, you know, it's it's stories, and there's fundamentally, there's only a certain amount of stories just dressed up in different ways for different times.
1: Mm-hmm. And when you look at so maybe EastEnders, Enders, uh, I'm sure many people remember remember the, the episode where Dot Cotton told her tale for the whole 30 minutes. And and that's Absolutely. that's something which takes such skill. And June Brown, with what she did there, was really channeling all these you know people who've gone before, and they're able to tell a tale, whether it's happy, sad. Uh, it has moments of comedy or dance in it, and I think you're capable of doing all of those in in, in the space of fifteen minutes. Well, yeah, it's. I mean, I'm, I'm very lucky. It's it's. I, I've got a lot of respect for actors who who
2: have the discipline to, stri- to stick not just to script, but also they have to react because they say acting is reacting to other actors to you know to to, to show their emo- emotional reaction to what's happening, mm-hmm. and that's the great thing about being a storyteller is we, we you know we, we are able to sort of do it all ourselves, but we don't have the necessarily the exact structure. Of course, we know where the story is going, but you know it's a great skill, and, and that is a good example. Of what you know what. That episode with Doc Cotton, I mean, that was incredible. That was like a, you know, that was up there with with any of the great great plays and the skill that was involved in it.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And
2: once again, if you peel away the the layers of the of the onion, it, it's it is basically just storytelling is at the heart of it, you know. And it's it's, it's suspending um, your disbelief, and, and and that's the fun part of it as well. I mean, I, I I'm lucky. So sort of 60% of my work is with adults, and 40% is with kids. And that's the great thing with kids, you know. When you tell them stories, they are right, absolutely in it. And we hear all the time, Jason, about oh, the kids in the 21st century are, are screen-led, you know, and mm-hmm. they don't have attention spans. But it's not true. It, any any storyteller who's a jobbing storyteller that goes out there works hard, does their work, will tell you that's that's actually not not true at all. You know, it's how you engage the children, and once you engage them through stories or whatever means that that may be then you can work on the other stuff that is obviously necessary, you know, for curriculum, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's all about engagement and it's all about, you know, seeing their sort of eyes eyes boggling like this and things that you're telling them. And, and, and they could be the most cynical sort of hard-nosed kids who have got tough lives. And, you know, you do meet a lot of kids like that, sadly. But, you know, for 15 minutes or 20 minutes, they're there. They're completely in the story. So it puts to to bed really that notion that kids can't concentrate these days. Mm -hmm. It's about what, what medium is being used to engage them, I think, is really important. And adults as well, the same principle.
1: I mean that works wonderfully live, um, and it, you can pre-record these things uh, as well. I'm sure at this time, but it is about that live experience that matters. And we're looking forward to being able to get back out there, and for you to be back out there doing this, telling stories, and uh, amazing your audiences as you go along. And have you have you got a favourite story you enjoy telling most? No,
2: the, the stories always change. It's, mm-hmm. it's like that, you know. It's 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 a bit like a it's a bit like a. Um, a book, you know, you have a favorite book that, that you pick up and you're absolutely into it, you love it to bits, you know, it's like you're hanging on every word, you reread it, uh, and then sometimes you just sort of, you know, you move on to another book, and then a year later, two years later, you see it on your bookshelf, and you think, ah, I'll just dust that off, and, uh, and suddenly you see something else in it, you know, so, mm-hmm. so it's your favorite song, you know, the favorite song that when you hear it, you think this is amazing. And then a year later, it's like old hat, but you you give it enough of a rest. And suddenly you take it out and you find a different meaning in it or words that you sort of (laughs) misheard. And then suddenly it comes to life life in a different way. So favorite stories are always changing because we're always changing I suppose, as well. So, you know, we're never in the same uh, situation sort of, you know, physically, physically, emotionally, spiritually. So Mm -hmm. favorite stories are always changing. And sometimes it doesn't have to be the, the massive epics, you know, this is another thing as well, is uh, that that I'm quite interested in. Sometimes the smallest sort of stories can have have the have the most amount of impact. You know, it's uh, so yeah. It just depends on, on on the mood and how how you're sort of hanging yourself. Really, to be honest with you, Jason.
1: Well, I mean, the the, the work that you do is amazing. I've seen you perform, and it is uh, it's just a joy. There's kind of an outfit which goes with it, but it's a storyteller's outfit as such. And again, I should think that's that changes as per uh, you know, what, what event you're running and how you want to work it. But if people want to see you, they need to do that in real life. That hopefully won't be too far away. Where do we go to find out more information about you and your work?
2: Uh, well, I have, I have a website, uh, peterchand.com, C-H-A-N-D, peterchand.com. That's quite easy. I'm, and I'm out and about on Google and Facebook and all over the places. You know, I sort of... Uh, one of those shrinking violent storytellers I'm, I'm not one of those I'm not, you'll find me everywhere now,
1: you know, so. <laughs> absolutely Peter always good to talk to you even better to listen to you and uh, I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing you out and about in the near future but for now Peter Chan thank you for joining us cheers
2: thanks Jason thank
1: you <laughs> Like all sports, it's been a bit of a struggle for grassroots football, as currently there is no availability to play. To tell us more about what's going on in the world of Black Country Fusion, I'm joined now by their chair, Sky Stewart. Hello. Good morning, Jason. You all right? I'm good. I trust we find you well?
4: Yeah, I'm really well, thank you. Surviving. Which is what counts.
1: So, uh, first of all, uh, give us a bit of background to Black Country Fusion and where your season ended up.
4: Um, So, Black Country Fusion was formed in 2016 as one of the first LGBT inclusive football clubs to enter a non-gay league. And then from there, um, we started with one team and we've just grown over the years. And I think coming into the new season, we're going to have six teams. So we've really grown and really pushed with the help of Carly and lots of other sponsors along the way.
1: So what's actually happened with your season just gone? How have the results worked out for the end-of-season table?
4: So the ladies... They were, their season was just scrapped and classed as null and void, which was very frustrating for obviously all the ladies that had put so much hard work in out of the season. All mm-hmm. um, the 30s, their season was just scrapped as well. Um, but our Sunday morning team um, was based on points per game. Mm-hmm. So we ended up finishing in second position. So we come runners up in Division 2 in the Wolves Sunday morning league, which is absolutely amazing for us.
5: So, does
1: that put you into a promotion position for next season?
4: Yeah, yeah, so we, we, we've we got back, we've had back-to-back promotions for the past two years now.
1: Excellent news. So, uh, I mean, all the work that's gone into it is uh, bearing results, obviously disappointing uh, where things have stood for uh, the over-30s and the ladies, but it doesn't mean that the hard work doesn't continue, and you know, onwards and upwards to hopefully success next season for them.
4: Yeah, definitely. I mean, we're already starting to try and build for next season, which is vital for us, um, and to continue to, you know, after football, to everyone in Wolverhampton and surrounding areas and
1: how do you see things uh, ahead with uh, social distancing obviously the Premier League has been going through several rounds of testing for coronavirus to make sure that it is safe to restart when they do finally choose to do so but that sort of financing and, uh, and focus isn't necessarily going to be there for grassroots football.
4: yeah I mean I mean that is going to be a big struggle um, it's, I think it's just going to depend on what the government um, decides. Um in terms of grassroots the crowds are a lot smaller. Um so I mean on a match day you don't really get that many people, especially at our level, mm-hmm. um Sunday morning level. I mean you can get five, six, seven, um and so you can social distance, but the only trouble would be would be the players. Yeah. Um so obviously we have to see if um they allow 22 people to play football at the same time.
1: Yeah, so that will be uh, an interesting one that comes through as we look towards next season. Uh, but with the start date of the latter part of the year running in the you know, traditional football slot, uh, fingers crossed uh, we may even have a vaccine or something around by then. So it'll be an interesting time and, and possibly different.
4: Yeah, definitely. I mean, we're all, I think the leagues are planning for September as well. We're all planning. And hoping to start in September, of the season as normal. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we just have to keep an eye on the government's guidance and just adhere to that really.
1: And what's going on uh, in the background? Because obviously fundraising continues, and uh, uh, I assume there's been plenty of stuff going on online to uh, to try and help keep the coffers full.
4: Yeah, I mean at the minute we're just planning our You know, planning the new teams, working with uh, new managers. You know, to try and get the teams set up, um, and then. We've been granted money from Sport England to help us through this bad time. So we've been granted a bit of money for that, which is absolutely amazing. That Sport England's put so many, so much money into, you know, grassroots clubs mm-hmm. um, and not just in football across everywhere. Um, I think they've invested, invested quite a few million into, you know, helping people in these hard times.
1: And uh, that, I mean, that said, obviously finance is important and working with your sponsors is important and uh, we can't get, uh, underestimate the amount of uh, great exposure that you've had from Carling and uh, they recently re-ran your TV campaign as well.
4: Yes, yeah, so um, I mean Carling has been absolutely amazing with us and really supported us um, for the past two years. Um, I'll be speaking to Carling in the, in the next few weeks um, and looking at another sponsorship deal hopefully.
1: And yeah, uh, it's good to see that sort of work ongoing, and it's good to see you guys on TV every once in a while when I'm flicking through the ad breaks.
4: Yeah, definitely. <laughs> we're, we're absolutely loving it. You know, the Cardin Made Local, um, and people should, you know, go ahead over to Cardin website as well, because um, they they can apply for money through the Made Local fund. So, especially in these hard times, um, you know, there might be a bit a bit of money there for people and grassroots.
1: And uh, any more teams on the way? Because I say you've expanded significantly from where you first started out.
4: Yeah, so um, this season we're starting up Black Country, de- Black Country Development, um, which will be um, mainly at younger players just starting in the adult game. Mm-hmm. Um, and they will be playing in the Beacon League on a Sunday afternoon. Um, so we've just got the managers for that. Um, and then we're also um, partnering with another team, which is, which is going to be a new team in the Sunday Morning League. Which is um Wednesday fusion mm-hmm. um and we're going to be partnering with them and um helping them really
1: and uh yeah, seeing how things can develop and, and and work on that and there will no doubt be social events as soon as we can start to uh to look at that again
4: yeah definitely we're we're all looking forward to going to get that to celebrate our season um well last season and you know um look at the future for us um it's It's hard because we don't see each other anymore, but we're we're all keeping in touch in various different ways and definitely planning for next season.
1: So lots of work being done. Where can people go to find out more about the whole of the Black Country Fusion enterprise?
4: Um, So on Facebook, it's just Black Country Fusion. And then on Twitter, it's at BC Fusion.
1: Well, keep up the good work. Keep pulling people together as teams and uh, working uh, for equality across the community, as I know that you do. It's been great speaking to you, Sky. Thanks for the catch-up.
4: Thank you. See you soon, Jason.
1: Richard Brooke has spent many an hour in the public eye, whether it's athletics or acting that's brought him to the fore, and so much more besides, he's always a popular fella. And he joins me now for a bit of a chat. Hello, sir.
6: Hi, how
1: are you doing? I'm good, and I trust everything is going as well as it can in your world at the moment.
6: Yeah, No, you know, I can't complain. I'm really lucky, we're all safe, healthy, so we're doing our best with everything.
1: That's the way we like it. Now, first of all, tell us a, a bit about uh, your background, because uh, we've seen you acting in a number of features that have been filmed in and around the Midlands, uh, but also we've seen you on the international athletic stage as well. So, so give us a, a bit of a timeline to how your story unfolds.
6: Uh, Yes, I'm a Yorkshire man from Yorkshire, and I'm I'm back in Yorkshire now, but as I was running from pretty much 2005 until 2015, uh, I relocated down to Loughborough to train with the British team, Mm -hmm. Um, and then when I retired from athletics in 2015, having had what was quite a good career for me, uh, I I moved into Birmingham to to go and train uh, as an actor at Mm -hmm. the Birmingham Royal Conservatoire. And then uh, I did a small spell in, in London, back to the Midlands, and so I've just kind of kept those relationships going, and spent a lot of my acting career actually in the Midlands, which has been really good for me.
1: Yeah, and I mean we've seen you uh, in some uh, features there uh, that uh, have, have been filmed locally, and have got a nice local feel to them. Uh, the House of Screaming Death being one of those. Yeah, Screaming Death.
6: That was uh, that was a really good one. I had a lot of fun on that. Um, I've worked with a couple of guys from that on subsequent films as well, um, such so the, as the horror film Clown Face and the uh, crime thriller Sustain. Um, so, you know, House of Screaming Death was good because it was a great opportunity to get involved in what was a really uh, exciting project and it, it gave me a chance to meet people and uh, get a few more films further down the line as well. So, it, it was. Great for a whole number
1: of reasons. But obviously, the industry's on hold just a little at the moment, and uh, we're looking forward to being able to get back and see things running again in the not-too-distant future. But, I mean, when it comes down to the acting, is that a, a natural jump from athletics? I mean, it's, it's an interesting one. Very often people go off on open sports shops to do training with people and become a PT uh, after their international career is over. And uh, it's, it's a, 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 bit of a, a bit of a step, isn't it, to telling stories?
6: Yeah, I suppose it might be. Um, You know, I just, I think everyone's different and unique, and we all have different drives and passions, Um, and I think the main thing for me is that that when you're doing something, you've got to feel that it's okay to change your mind or to try new things, and and then if you enjoy those new things, to go with them. I think too much uh, as a society and a culture, we kind of label ourselves as what we do. You know, I'm Richard, I'm the runner, Um, I'm Janet, I'm the banker. And it's not that, we're, we're people with interests. And uh, so for me, it just was something I was interested in and wanted to try and, uh, you know, touch wood, it's it's been going okay as a trial period. And uh, <laughs> I'm still in it and I keep trying.
1: Did you have time to do things like Amdram as a kid or were you rather too busy on the uh, on the running track?
6: No, I, I did Amdram as a kid. I was actually a very late start to track and field. I, I didn't start until I was 15. Um, it was a, a lot of international athletes do tend to kind of touch in around eight years old, so mm. I was I was well behind the times with that. Um, so I, I had a, a pretty full childhood, you know, I was really active in sports, but I did drama as well, um, so I kind of just, I was given the chance to be a kid up until 15 when uh, I started training, and then 16 when I started to make teams, so for me it was a, it was a really quick turnaround from not doing anything particularly intense in sport to being a professional athlete. Um, but I mean, that was great for me because I, I got the chance to, to just, you know, be a kid.
1: <laughs> and, and what do you think uh, stands out for you as, as one of your best memories from the,
6: uh, the track and field career? It's a good one. Good question. Um, probably my, my favourite memory is the 2013 European Championships where mm. we won the gold medals a 4x4 team. It was quite an eventful race because I got knocked in the thing, almost fell over, but we came back to win. Uh, The other one would be 2007 World Final when, uh, to all intents and purposes, it looks like I pushed a German guy over and then went over with him. Uh, (laughs) That was was my first real exposure in a senior World Final Mm -hmm. in a real situation, and uh, I spent most of the final on the floor. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, the, the whole thing,
1: though, I mean, often uh, in these sports, it's a relatively short career. It's only some of the um, uh, main uh, categories, like, something like the rowing and things. We see people go on for up to 20 years. It's, it's not, um, say, something which is going to last uh, forever, as you know. But equally, it's something that it, it's, uh, you need to have uh, a, a, another trade to work alongside very often, isn't it? So it isn't easy for our international athletes very often.
6: No, you're right. I mean, my original plan was to uh, be retiring the end of this year. When I first started the sport, I thought I'm going to go right through until Tokyo 2020, and I'll, I'll retire after the Olympics then.
3: Because
6: mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm 33 years old now, so I would have been retiring at 34. I thought that was doable. Um, but, I mean, I'm really happy with how everything worked out because, you know, from my personal perspective, obviously I feel terrible for the athletes that have been training and preparing, mm-hmm. but how I kept going. Another year for me would have probably been a stretch too far, so I wouldn't have been able to do a Tokyo Olympics. You know, hopefully a lot of the athletes are, are still relatively young and they'll get another shot next year if it's able to go ahead. Yeah. So I, I find myself thinking it's it's strange how things work out in that respect. Um, and the other thing with track and field is it's one of those sports where um, there's not huge money in it, but what there is is a lot of opportunity to. Uh, to do it through education,
7: mm-hmm.
6: uh, which, again, I'm, I'm hugely thankful for. Leeds, Beckett University, they gave me um, a scholarship and supported me tremendously through my early start of my career, getting me to my first Olympic Games. Um, Loughborough University came in um, you know, shortly after the London 2012 Olympics, and, and they, again, supported me through a master's degree, which allowed me to uh, continue running and, and give me that freedom just to focus on my training and education at the same time. Uh, and then, of course, I went to, to Birmingham to study acting after that, another master's degree. Um, probably the most pointless of all my degrees, although I'll be honest, all of my degrees are semi pointless. Uh, but yeah, you know, it, it just it gave me a lot of chance to experience things and, and people from different backgrounds, people from different ways of thinking. Uh, so I, I think, all in all, you know, when you finish your athletics career, you come out with. Uh, a different view of the world than people that have maybe not had a sporting career so even though you might be 10 years behind them uh, you know you you do have a chance to really engage in what you want to do there and, and make up ground because you've got that that drive and that mindset and you've been exposed to so many unique situations along the way
1: and there's always the seniors i mean you haven't stopped exercising we know that much <laughs> yeah i
6: I don't really fancy competing again. It might sound strange. I like exercising just because I value fitness. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for me to step on the track again, knowing that I couldn't do what I did as a, as a young man, uh, I don't think i would have it in me because I always wanted to push myself to be the best I could be.
5: Mm-hmm.
6: And so knowing that I wouldn't be up to those standards, I think that's one of the reasons why I, I, I like to find new challenges, yeah. places where I can push myself. To, to areas that I've not been before.
1: So, I mean, that at the moment is in the realms of acting. And uh, anything interesting that you can talk about at the moment that uh, may be coming up after we've through the current crisis?
6: we have been really lucky, actually, as in, I mean, I've, I've lost a couple of jobs because of this, but they haven't necessarily gone. Mm-hmm. We're hoping they've just been postponed. Um, so a couple of plays that were supposed to be going on tour uh, this, this summer, um, I've been pushed back to next summer. We're hoping. Yeah. Uh, I have a read-through for one of those on Wednesday, um, so we're doing that on Zoom. We're meeting together. Uh, I'm working with some writers who are coming up with some new material, and again, we're kind of touching base and just reading through as a as actors and a cast, so that they can hear their plays and continue to develop them. Uh, so that's great for them. Yeah, it doesn't guarantee a job, but it, it keeps me in touch with everything. Um, and my wife's also an actor, and um, during this, she's had a, a huge switch from traditional acting to voiceover work, so yeah. we now have a, our spare bedroom completely adapted into a permanent full-time sound studio. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, luckily enough, I had a job come the other day, which is only a small one, 50 words voiceover, but because she's had that um, that prepared, I was able to go straight into a sound studio and record 50 words and, and send it off. So, yeah, it, it's from that perspective, there's still things going on, obviously, it's it's slowed down tremendously. Mm
3: -hmm.
6: We're not able to get out and film, not able to go into theatres and rehearse. Um, But, you know, I think the the acting community, the creative community, all communities are, are doing their best in challenging situations.
1: Well, I mean, you've adapted throughout your career. This is just another way of you finding a way of doing what it is you want to do. And uh, by the sound of things, success is going to continue for you, which is absolutely fantastic. I know you wouldn't have it any other way. Where can people go to find out more about your work, and uh, maybe even get in touch with your agent if they're looking for someone just like you?
6: Uh, well, I've got a website, www.richardbook.co.uk, um, and that links to all my social media profiles. Keep my Facebook, my Twitter, pretty much updated. That's Rick B Four Hundred. Um, and yeah, I, I'm always happy to chat to people and collaborate with people. I've got open contacts on all my social media so Mm.
1: people can get in touch. Well, always good to catch up with you. Looking forward to seeing you on the big screen, maybe the smaller screen, or just hear your voice in the near future. For now, Richard Book, thanks for joining us. No
6: worries, thank you very much.
1: Peppa Pig and the Pink Panther have been out raising funds for many a good cause for a number of years. Currently, they're working on awareness and work for the NHS. I'm joined now by Pink Panther, a.k.a. E.J. Edwards. Hello, sir.
0: Hello. Good morning, Jason. How are you?
1: I'm good. I, I trust we find you well. And, and they're doing a bit of shopping just at the moment at Budgins. Tomatoes and mushrooms today.
0: Yeah, Budgins have uh, helped a lot with the fundraising and everything else. Um, amazing. Uh, we raised about raised about £11,000 now and uh, we're still raising as we're going along.
1: So give us a, a bit of a background to the work that you and Stu Bailey, a.k.a. Pepper Pig, have been doing.
0: Yeah, Stuart Bailey and myself, um, IKI, Pink Panther, have um, been running around um, Codsall, uh, Bellbrook, Pendleford, Claregate, all around, everywhere, even Wolverhampton, even past the You, <laughs> uh, uh, We've been saying, you know, like, sort of like, to everyone as we're going along. Um, uh, at the beginning of the uh, virus, uh, you know, yeah, the you know the actual virus. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was my idea to come along with um, to raise a bit of money for the NHS.
1: So I mean, doing great things. I say eleven grand just uh, for the NHS charities together, focusing on the Royal Wolverhampton Hospital is absolutely brilliant work. Uh, but uh, you boys aren't unused to doing uh, marathons in your costumes either, are you? No, no,
0: we do. We've done a lot of. Uh, Charities in costumes, you know, dressed as Superman, Batman. Uh, the cool runnings. We got in the Guinness Book of Records in 2014, mm-hmm. and um, uh, this year I should have uh, run as pep- as the Pink Panther again, uh, but it was cancelled till October the 4th. So, um, but hopefully, when it get back to, when it gets back to normal.
1: Yeah, I mean, you've been doing your bit with uh, your exercise in costume very often, putting smiles on people's faces. And I mean, people are out and about wearing face masks. I think you've got the mother of all face masks when it comes to that pink Panther head on, haven't you?
0: Oh, definitely. We've been raising smiles on the elderly, the young, and even the next, you know, um, up and coming uh, school kids. Mm. You know, but um, also the ABC um, child. who cooks after children, we actually uh, stopped there as well.
1: And I mean, what's your personal overall total, uh, if you can work it out? I mean, I know that uh, Stu and yourself have both raised absolute fortunes, haven't you?
0: Yeah, yeah, raised about £80,000 altogether since we've been running.
1: And that's pretty good going. And uh, without those efforts that you're putting in, and the, uh, say, so the great look of the the costumes, etc. It just wouldn't have happened. So I mean, you're ongoing with this at the moment. Uh, a bit more running to do. Have you got a current total you're aiming for?
0: Well, it was only two hundred pounds start, and mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, to go ten and eleven thousand, is amazing, you know. And uh, probably, probably, we'll probably end up about fifteen thousand, probably.
1: Well, fingers crossed you can get there. Uh, so uh, other than nipping into budgens, which Budgins is it just so people can uh, nip in and make a donation that way when they're doing the shopping?
0: Budgins in Billbrook, it's, um, it's, in that, it's on the uh, Warbaston Road, right at the top on the left-hand side.
1: Uh-huh. So thanks to everyone down there, as we have already said, the manager and the team doing great things, helping to support you and of course the customers as well. But people can also give via just giving, can't they?
0: Yeah, 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 Pepper Pig and Pink Panther.
1: So just search for that on Just Giving and you can make a donation or just look for Stu EJ Edwards, Pepper Pig and the Pink Panther running on Facebook and uh you know, if, if you are seen out and about, as I say, you've got uh, what effectively is a massive face mask on when you're wearing your Pink Panther outfit. So uh, probably safe to approach and make a donation. Um, um, there's no scientific guidelines to that. But uh, whatever you do, though, stay safe, enjoy your running, and uh, make sure that, uh, you know, you keep doing the good work and helping to, to raise uh, you know, people's spirits as well as money. Yeah, thanks very much, Jason, nice one, thank you. Also, you've got to do a big shout out to the team at the Willows Care Home as well. Yeah, I work at the Willows Care Home in Codsall. We do,
0: we're all doing an amazing job. Um, We've just uh, done a video, the greatest
1: key workers. Yeah. Uh, Look online, see what you can do from there. Okay, so look for that one. We're looking for Willow Care Home. Is that on YouTube or Facebook or how do we find it?
0: On Facebook and YouTube, the Willows Care Home in um, Codsall.
1: Absolutely brilliant. Well, uh, EJ, thanks for having a chat with us. Keep up the good work okay. and we uh, look forward to seeing you again soon. All right, bye. Thank you. Robert Bowers is, I think, one of the nation's most talented artists. He does some absolutely phenomenal stuff, not only massive sculptures, but also pieces you can fit in your own home. And he joins me now from
8: his workshop for a bit of a chat. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm good. I trust all is good in your world i think i think so i think so yeah actually no i fell out the shower and broke my leg okay that's unusual um
1: uh i, I trust everything is fixing itself on that score yes yes got one of them big boots on that, that's stylish i think that's uh, that suits you and it, it keeps one of your crocs from wearing out as well which is the other thing too
8: it does actually yeah
1: <laughs> so what's going on in your world of art at the minute because uh we we chat periodically and you often have something new and different that you're working on. We've seen the uh, the pet sculptures of late. The Tunes are there. There's been some celebrity versions of those. And uh, also, I've, I've seen a few teddy bears around and about in recent weeks.
8: Yeah, well, I've started off creating these uh, little bears. Um, I have no idea why, <laughs> but I went with it. Um, and on each bear, there's a little gemstone. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- there's loads of meanings behind the bears and and what have you and then there's the rock stars that I caught Jason, I just like whittling <laughs> Basically, I just carry on away whittling um, I've,
1: I've seen you do this in person as well and um, I'm amazed by the speed We know there's a huge amount of talent there Which is letting you just take something in your head and turning it into something real in wood but it's, it's the, the artwork that then goes on top of it as well. And uh, having seen some of the celebrities you've produced and I know they've found great places in their new homes, they're absolutely loved by thousands, aren't they?
8: Yeah, yeah. Um, well, people, people just, just like the stuff, what's happening. I'd like to say there's loads of this and there's loads of that. If people like it, I'm happy. It makes me happy.
1: But, and you're creating things uh, initially, I think, to, to please your creative output. And it, it's it's having that ability uh, to to do this is it, phenomenal. Uh, we, we've chatted a number of times in the past, but what age was it you first started doing this sort of stuff?
8: I used to be hairdresser. Right. Um, I used to be hairdresser, and if I'm openly honest, I had a nervous breakdown, um, which which sent me off the the way a little bit.
3: Mm-hmm.
8: Um, and then I did a night class, um, and from that night class, it just I found where I needed to be, yeah, Um, and it was creative. And now it's it's virtually like an addiction. I need to create every day.
1: Mm -hmm. The stuff that you create, though, is phenomenal. Whether we look at some of the work that we've got literally on the ring road in Wolverhampton uh, with uh, your uh, motorbike, uh, or scattered across the Midlands and across the UK, there are some huge pieces of public artwork that you've been able to create. And the thought that goes into this, it, and, and and the planning that that must be a, a really interesting process to go through.
8: Oh, okay, on on the big public work, there's loads of planning. You have to go through uh, plans, councils, this, that, and the other. And to be honest, that side of art now really does. It doesn't interest me at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but the little pieces where I just carve them, I get up one morning. You end you end up. I start off with. Block of wood. Yeah. And think, well, what am I going to do today? Um, and I don't know what I'm going to do from day to day, but by the end of the day, I'll have something. And it's like at the moment, I've got this fascination with making um, my own carving knives.
1: Yeah. And you get what you want and it fits your hand the way you want it to. And it allows you to create.
8: Com- complete. And like. They're all made from old files. Mm-hmm. Plus it saves a lot of money.
1: Yeah. And you re- repurposing, reusing and uh, I mean, you do that with a, a lot of the materials as well. Uh, often you will take something which has been something else. And before you know it, it's it's turned into a character or something.
8: <laughs> yeah. I love to go skip diving. Um, the amount of stuff that people throw away that you can turn into something else. Um, e- even just from a deodorant lid, that then can become a hat for a character. It amazes Fantastic. me the stuff that you come up with. I mean, uh, what, what is uh, your
1: favourite piece that you've done in your career looking back? I mean, I know you, you, you have current favourites, but I've seen everything from some of the artwork that you've done uh, with characters in. Uh, is there anything that stands out as, as one one that you you know, you like going back to? The best
8: one that I, is my favourite so far is the one I haven't done. Mm-hmm. It's <laughs> the one that keeps me going, and and but it, it
1: is a drive and an energy which keeps going through your artwork, and we and we see that if people follow you on Facebook, they actually get to see these things created as you, as you go along, and it's kind of like magic the way it happens.
8: It's nice. It's nice that people can this technology thing is fantastic that people can watch and maybe learn or pick up tips or, or ways of doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great to have that interaction with somebody who will say oh what knife are you using and they say well one I've made myself <laughs> or what wood are you using, where do you get the wood from, how do you finish, what paint do you use and it's nice to pass that on yeah. because in this lockdown time. Um, If it gets somebody into whittling or carving, honestly, you'll lose hours. (laughs) And it's fantastic.
1: And the creativity that comes off the back of that. But I mean, even I've even seen doing things like making tables and uh, it's just whatever takes your fancy. A trip around your workshop
8: is an absolute joy. (laughs) It's waking up. I mean, we're doing our garden at the moment and everything in the garden is from a skip.
1: Mm -hmm.
8: So it's just repurposing what everybody, Jason, I know there's a lot of it on the television, but I've been doing this for years, Mm -hmm. which years and years, way before it all got popular or this, that and the other, it's just looking and seeing what could be made from something else.
1: Yeah, and you've got that eye that can see what's going on behind the surface of whatever it is and turn into something absolutely amazing. Where can people go to see your work?
8: Mate, well, at the moment we've got a, we're on exhibition at Ironbridge Framers, mm-hmm. uh, the gallery over in Ironbridge, but first of all, we had the floods. Yeah. Um, then we've got this, lockdown situation so it's probably one of the best exhibitions that's never been open
1: <laughs> but that, even that adversity doesn't stop you i know you can see some of it online and fingers crossed once things get a little yeah. bit more back to normal people will be able to go in there and take a look at the exhibition properly on their own uh, but uh, is that that so we just need to search for rob bowers hannah broadhead on in Ironbridge, and that'll come up on face on google yep
8: yeah. yeah, or just just facebook us facebook yeah. us we have had, um, they're going to open up, when they say they get opened up, but it's going to be extended for three months, the mm-hmm. exhibition, yeah, because of the interest that it's had online.
1: Well, that, that is understandable, uh, both yourself and Hannah are fantastic artists, we'll have to have a natter with Hannah at some point, and uh, talk yes, to yes. her work, so we will get her on in a week or two, but uh, for now Rob, okay. keep up the good work, keep making it all happen, and we look forward to seeing more of it online as time goes on.
8: Bless you Jason, stay safe. <laughs>
1: Dark Noise have a brand new album, Pictures in Electronic Sounds. To tell us more, I'm joined now by Mark, Kevin and Steve. Hello. Hi. Morning. Morning, Jason. So, uh, first of all, let's start with uh, you, Kev. Uh, We've uh, spoken on a number of occasions and we've worked on various different events together. And, of course, we will probably know you from Urbane and the, the fantastic fun you have with some covers there. But this is all your own material.
7: Yeah, very much so. So I I think this really was where it all started uh, in the uh, early 80s uh, when we were at uh, Codsell High School. Uh, We met up again in the uh, late 90s, then doing some more of our own stuff. And I think probably then in the last 10 years or so, uh, got doing the retro stuff because it became more popular. Uh, But I think always, uh, and Steve will probably tell you more, but uh, it goes back to a a walk uh, in a park that he'll probably be able to tell you what the name of is in Liverpool uh, two and a half, three years ago, where we thought saw... yeah, let's have a go at it. Steve?
9: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we decided to go out and do photos, didn't we? And we said uh, we're a bit fed up with doing all these cover versions of other people's stuff, as entertaining as it might be. Uh, but actually, our roots are in doing our own stuff. And that's what we did when we were 13 years old. Um, and that's what we thought we'd resurrect. And that's the way forward from now on, yeah
1: because it's been a, yeah. a few years since uh, the, the first gig and, and a massive gig to celebrate a big birthday as well. And uh, I, I, I know that uh, you all enjoy getting together for that one. And, Mark, what are your memories from that?
5: Probably 50th. That was a few years ago now, sadly.
4: Yeah.
5: <laughs> um, but, yeah, for this album, I think all of us were really quite... Um, we had a fantastic experience doing the live shows, but certainly I'd really missed writing new songs and... Uh, and that has been just a wonderful opportunity with this project. Love, love doing that again. Um, yeah, and we've we've come up with this album, which which I'm really proud of. I uh, yeah, I think it's great. So let's go around the group. Tell us about your role on the album, then.
7: Yeah, I mean, you have a look on the album. I think we've all actually got uh, equal rights on it when it makes absolute millions. But yeah, I I I mainly, uh, <laughs> uh do the do do the vocals. But I think all of us feature. Uh, on that and all of us chipping in here, writing songs uh, but the two main guys that make all the sounds happen are these two guys but yeah mainly I'm, I'm on the vocals mm-hmm.
9: uh, I'd say I'm, I'm more on the technical side so I'm, I'm very much into arrangement and production and stuff like that so for instance if Mark comes with some nice melodies uh, it'll be me who manipulates them into the finished product really that that's my main role that's how I see myself I mean you know, I do like to get involved in the songwriting, but I absolutely love the production uh, mm. process, you know, taking an idea and turning it into that finished track.
5: I like um, kicking off the songs, actually, coming up with the ideas and getting a basic track. Um, yeah, so we, we all have our roles, really, and we, I think we fit quite well in that sense. We all like different parts of the, uh, the process. So, mm. uh, yeah, so it works, yeah. works well the roles
9: aren't exclusive we kind of mix and match a, a little bit but those are kind of the dominant uh, features of each of us in, in the group yeah.
7: I think after 40 years I think we can all actually pretty much tell each other how we feel about stuff <laughs> uh, without any real concern because uh, the relationships are so deep uh, you know we can't even remember uh, you know, necessarily where we met or how we uh, got into all of this but it certainly all I think as these two guys uh, say it all, all just works we fall out we make up and uh, we, we then end up with something uh, in terms of production that's like this. But I think at the base of it, uh, much more important than the album is actually the deep relationships we've actually got uh, throughout all, our, all of our lives with families.
1: And I see so sort of family uh, time as well. I know the whole family enjoy coming to see you when you do perform as well. I mean, you can almost fill half a room with just the
5: families between the three of you. Oh, that'll be Kevin. Kevin's got the massive <laughs> family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
9: <laughs> Mark and I yeah. don't have that many relatives left. <laughs>
7: <laughs> yeah. No, I think I, I think the reality of it is, you know, in Wolverhampton uh, and the surrounding areas, the, there's a lot of people that certainly that that Rachel and I know. Uh, and obviously, Codsall is uh, pretty much where where this all started. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, massive amount of support in life, and and with this and these projects. You know, uh, occasionally Rachel actually say to me when she sees some crackpot ideas the three of us come comes up with, she'll say, "There are no words. What are you do, going? You know, you guys are in your in your early mid fifties. But hey, we get up every day, and uh, you know, you go to work, you do the normal grind." Uh, and then we have this as a fantastic hobby uh to take you away from that um and that really is the spirit of I mean, it's not to be rich it's not to be famous uh it's very much uh, to cement the relationship and to take yourself to, to 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 very much a different different place to to your normal daily grind really
1: and uh, alongside that though there is the entertainment for everybody who uh, hears and sees what you're doing actually the project
5: we aim to do is to get a vinyl record which mm. uh well, we haven't told jason well. that yet so yeah. uh, we, for the first time actually produced uh some music on vinyl mm-hmm. so that that was what we were we set out to do um we've done the work musically and the artwork and we put it out there um but i think now it's it, it's waiting on people to find it so mm-hmm. um I don't know quite how we achieve that.
1: Well, there's always a strong brand with what you do, and uh, so we can look forward to uh, enjoying that. I can just imagine it's going to be some sort of uh, fluorescent or crazy-coloured vinyl, which is uh, going to finally (laughs) grace people's record decks uh, in in the time to come. But where do we go now to find out more about the music, download and buy, and uh, and share with our friends and family?
5: We've got a website. Um, Well, I think Spotify... Apple Music, Amazon. They've searched for pictures and electronic sounds or dark noise, and it'll it'll come up. That's the easiest way. So check out the details there. But yeah. uh, as I say, something that's online for now
1: will be a physical thing that you can hold and play and enjoy and also autograph uh, in uh, time to come. But for now, uh, thank you, and uh, keep up the good work, boys.
5: Thank you very much, Jason. Thank Thanks, you. Jason,
7: as always. Thank you. Yeah.
1: at who farm animal kingdom continues to tell us more about what's going on down there i'm now joined by will dorrell hello sir hi jason how you doing i'm all right and i trust uh, the uh, the extended family down there are keeping well as well
10: yeah, we're, uh, we're, we're all doing all right, and so, uh, so are the animals as well. I'm just, I'm just in with the wolves at the moment, so you have to uh, excuse me if the camera suddenly goes a bit hazy. They, they're very interested in it and keep coming over to see what I'm doing.
1: Can we see a wolf, then, whilst you're doing this? Uh, are,
10: are
1: there any uh, yeah, that wish to join can, in?
10: I'll see if I can get to say hi. There we go. So, this is Lycan uh-huh uh, thank you Good i No, good point uh, this is lycan so lycan is actually a wolf dog so he's um he's a cross between um a a german shepherd and a wolf uh-huh. and the one just behind him is Tana, he a pure gray wolf so um yeah they're both both very very friendly as you can see yeah um sometimes a little bit too friendly when it comes to cameras and things like that <laughs> so i mean
1: it's a it's a a privilege to to work with all the uh creatures you have down there but it's still a lot of hard work making sure everyone's looked after.
10: Oh yeah, it's um, I, I mean, yeah. You know, don't, don't get me wrong, it's a it's a fantastic uh, a fantastic privilege and uh, and and uh, an amazing thing to do. I'd far rather this than than being stuck in an office or something like that. Not not that there's anything wrong with that. Um, but um, but I far prefer prefer this type of thing. But uh, as you said, it is it is a lot of hard work, and it's uh, it's one of those things that even though we're not, for example, classed as essential workers, um. We we've still got to come into work. We can't we can't sit at home because animals don't feed themselves. Unfortunately,
1: mm-hmm. at least if they do, it's on each other, and we don't want any of that. So uh, you know, there, there's a, a great number of animals down there, and uh, obviously with no visitors at the moment, that has its own pressures financially. And uh, I, I know that with the, the work that you and your family have done over many decades, you you're in a, a, a good stable position as far as you as possible. But there's still chance for people to 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 buy vouchers and. Uh, be prepared to come back as soon as you can open the doors again
10: well this is uh, this is exactly it this, this is exactly the problem we're uh, we're coming into is um is that, as you said i mean we're, we're we're going into our 30th year next year so so we've been around for quite a while sorry i've got wolf licking my pocket. Um, we've been around, around for quite a while um, and I mean, obviously we've, uh, over that time you, you always make sure you have a reserve to, 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 to be able to um, to last through periods where perhaps you're shut or something like that um, but I don't think any of us was really expecting it to, to carry on quite so long. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing that for us has been a little bit of a saving grace is that um, it, this year we actually um, didn't close over Christmas. Usually we close from Christmas Eve through to the end of March Whereas this year we literally closed for ten days and then reopened again, so we did at least have a few months of trading before before this this closure came in. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, otherwise we, you know, if, if it had come any other year, we would have been closed for three months nearly. Sorry, been closed for three months nearly and then been closed for another three months um, again, or another two, three months again. So, um, yeah, I mean, when you have these challenges come up, you've, you've, you've got to tackle them, really.
1: Mm-hmm, absolutely. And uh, with what uh, you are able to offer down there once things do start to get back to normality, uh, it'll be a chance for people to meet the animals themselves directly, whether it is the friendly wolves or possibly even your meerkats.
10: Well, yeah, exactly. I was I was debating as to whether to do this interview with the wolves or the meerkats, and I'm starting to wish that I'd gone in with the meerkats instead <laughs> at the moment. Uh, they... They'd probably play ball a little bit better. Um, but, yeah, I mean, a, a lot of the animals that we have here, we do experiences with and so on. The, the wolves aren't yet on an experience, but as you can see, they're very, Is something we're looking at doing in, in due course. Um, but we've just got to, uh, like everything, we've got to sort of risk assess it and work out um, how they're going to be with strangers and so on. Thank you. Um, so, um, you know, that's obviously, um, that's obviously very important. Um, but, yeah, I mean, um, you see, this this is the other thing as well, is that uh, is, is we're hoping we can obviously get back open uh, for the beginning of July. You know, when they're saying that public places can probably reopen, but um, we're not sure when we're going to be able to restart experiences because with those, as you can already imagine, the social distancing is a bit of an issue.
3: Um,
10: so, so, so you know, it's all it's all things that at the moment we're in uncharted territory, and it, it's giving us it's giving us a challenge. Um, but at the same time, we always enjoy a challenge. So you know, I'm sure I'm sure we'll bounce back from it afterwards.
1: Absolutely. And uh, so, with the the number of animals you got down there, uh, it's, it's it's great just to take a walk around the park and enjoy. I mean, how many uh, different species are you looking at at the moment? There, thereabouts.
10: So we've got about 120 different species. Um, about 400 animals in total. Um, and um, I mean, we you know we we started off with just sheep, cows, and pigs, you know, uh, and horses back obviously 30 odd years ago. So you know, things things have come on a long, a long, long way since then. Um, we've now obviously got the wolves. We've got big cats like bobcats, caracals, serval, um, and um, and yeah, we are we are now a zoo rather than just being a farm park. So like all these things, um, uh, it's always uh, it's always a case of um, of seeing what you can do next and uh, and what you can bring next to it.
1: Well I'd say it's a truly amazing experience going down there seeing and when possible again actually meeting the animals face to face but uh, great to uh, actually uh, see them in uh, a lovely environment and uh, we are obviously well cared for as well which I know is at the heart of everything you do.
10: That's very kind of you to say, but yeah, that's um, um, that, that's really our whole our whole ethos. A, a lot of the animals that we've we've got here have come as rescues, and um, you know they've not had the best start start in life, and um, and you know they've they've come to us, and it's our responsibility to make sure that they um, that they're, they're looked after to um, um, to the best of our abilities, and, and and really to the level that they that they deserve to be, to be so. Um, I mean, I think it goes without saying that at the moment, none of what we're sort of going through at the moment would have been possible to have survived if it wasn't down to the generosity of, 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 of people and um, customers and, and so on. I mean, we've had a Just Giving page going on, which has reached nearly, sorry, I'm getting mobbed now, a Just Giving page going on, which is, has reached nearly £10,000. And, um, oh, thank you, mate. We'll stand up. Uh, £10,000, which is always nice and helpful. And then also food donations and stuff like that. Sorry, I don't know if you can see, he's trying to steal my car keys, but um, <laughs> we can't let that happen. Um, so, yeah, so, so so obviously all these donations are hugely helpful because, you know, we uh, we, we only have about, we always work up on basis, we have about 10 weeks in a year to, to, to make any money because, you know, a lot of the time you're quiet mm-hmm. and then and then those, those t- 10 weeks in the year are your, your summer holidays and Easter holidays and so on and so forth, which is when you make the money to be able to look after the animals through the rest of the year. Well, obviously, we've already lost the Easter holidays and the summer holiday is going to be debatable as to whether. People want to come out, so obviously all these sorts of donations and these and, and this sort of charitable help has um, has been huge, and will obviously go a long way to looking after them.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that uh, that can be done, and can that be found via the uh, the Who Farm Facebook page?
10: yes yeah if you go onto the who farm facebook page or the who farm website um there's um in the who farm website up on the top right hand corner there's a link for support us and that and that will show the various options if people do want to help out um at the same time we we obviously know it's difficult for everyone at the moment so so you know we appreciate any people are able to give and if
1: people want to book tickets in advance they can do so
10: they can do so. Um, obviously, ticket sales aren't open at the moment, but once, at uh, the moment, we've got a date that we can open, we'll be getting tickets u- up online. I would advise people that once we get them online, to book in advance, because um, because I strongly suspect that we'll probably only be able to operate to start off with on pre-bookings, um, so that we can manage visitor numbers through the door. Obviously, we don't want to, you know, have a have a uh, a, a uh, the, the the situation they've got at the beaches at the moment. So, yeah, um, um, yeah so, so so I would advise once we can get the tickets back open to, to to book your tickets online so look
1: for who farm and give us that web address
10: Ah, uh, yeah that'd be helpful wouldn't it uh, so the web address is farm.com.
1: so whofarm.com check the details there for now will Dorrell, thank you for joining us
10: no worries thanks very much jason
1: Destination Wolverhampton and the Black Country are working hard to make sure that the leisure and tourism market as well as meetings all start to take place again as soon as we're able to. At the minute it's about supporting venues and being ready, someone who's always ready is Jan Denning. Hello.
11: Hello everyone. Hi Jason. Well we, we <laughs>
1: have a good catch up each week normally where you let us know what's specifically going on. Uh, but for those who haven't picked up in the past, give us the background to Destination Wolverhampton and Black Country.
11: Okay, destination Wolverhampton, the black country. Hopefully, everybody is now hearing about it and um, aware of it now, because I'm working really hard to make that happen. But how it came about is that my background is I've always been in travel, tourism, hospitality, conference and events. And my last employed job, I was commercial sales director at Wolverhampton Racecourse which I absolutely loved. Um, and it was a new learning curve for me being responsible for the different revenue streams there. Um, and absolutely loved it. And I loved also the area of Wolverhampton and the black country. And mm. i would not actually worked in that area before. I was always more Birmingham and London based. So it was a new experience, if you want to put it that way, to work in, <laughs> in Wolverhampton the black country as well. But during my time, with the race course, I realised that there was, am- and, and I met some great people, made some great connections as well. I think mm. that's one really unique thing about our region is the people. Yeah. Really, I, I don't think there's anybody like us in the world. I think, I think we're all fabulous. I am black country, by the way. I know you can't always tell by my accent. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, at my time at the race course, I realised this massive gap Um, in the region, in the marketplace, for leisure and business tourism, particularly the business tourism. And by that, I mean conference meetings and events. And I thought, you know, we're really missing a treat because nobody is really concentrating on driving awareness and driving new conference meeting and events and uh, uh, inquiries into our fabulous hotels, venues, attractions was actually focusing on doing that. So um, it it was at the back of my mind all the time. I thought, you know what, Jan, put your money where your mouth is. And I then did loads of research and Destination Wolverhampton and the Black Country was launched. And it took me a little while to get there as well, because I was like, just penning ideas, really. And I thought, do I become an ambassador? Mm -hmm. And I thought, one, that sounds really pretentious. (laughs) I thought about, does that mean I'll have to wear a sash? And I thought, no, I really don't want to wear a sash. I can
1: see you in a sash. I think that would work.
11: (laughs) Maybe I'll get one after this, then. We'll get a golden black sash that I'll always always wear. I've got um, my golden black on today, by the way, Mm. especially for this broadcast. Yeah, matching
1: the branding. So, I mean, when this this came about and the, the work that you put into it, Obviously, you were met with enthusiasm from people uh, across the the tourism sector. And in part, it's because if businesses want to come to the Midlands, we've got great road links around here, they think of Birmingham uh, maybe first because of the effort that's gone there, Britain's second city. But we're not part of Birmingham, we're something different, we're something special. And if you come across anywhere in the Black Country or Wolverhampton, you're gonna get a whole different feel to it and see something different, and there is that chance that that could actually make a difference to your business meeting.
11: Absolutely, you've hit the nail on the head. Because we're, we're local, you know, and probably the people that we're talking to are local. We all know where Wolverhampton, the black country is. You know, a day doesn't go by when I'm speaking to agents and businesses who are booking conference meetings, events, or, or, tourist, um, or tourist stuff. And they say, oh, we put loads into the Midlands. And I go, yeah, that's fantastic. I'm so pleased that you are putting so much business into the Midlands. So then I just delve a little bit further and I say, so where in the Midlands are you booking? You know, the, the Midlands is a big region mm-hmm. and people are always aware of that. And what I've realised is that when you say the Midlands to somebody outside of the, the Midland region, it's Birmingham. Uh-huh. And that's where all the business goes, or a lot of that business goes there. However... The one thing that we need to be clear is that we're not Birmingham and we're not competing against Birmingham. This is to work collaboratively. And there's never been a more important time to work collaboratively and keep it within our West Midlands region. But we're not Birmingham. And as you've just alluded to, we have a unique offering. We've got some great um, hotels and venues, probably, well, certainly my favourite theatre, the Grand Theatre, you know, Mm. which we're all really proud of and a vital part of the community as well
1: yeah and and people don't necessarily think about the fact that actually it's a theatre you might be looking for a theatre style venue don't go theatre style go theatre
11: exactly and you know they've got all the um, audio visual stuff already all set up there I mean it's a a conference event dream really and twelve hundred. it's, it's superb and you know they'll need that support more than ever right now we, we all do and I know that you know I'll, I'll touch on what support we need moving forward after this uh, this yeah. COVID stuff yeah
1: absolutely and I would say it, you, you, the university keep going back for graduation days it is that sort of special venue and it can have some magic when you have an event and as, as we've been talking about uh, over the last few weeks when I spoke to you uh, on air on WCR about uh, you making sure that we are supporting and there is a time to book and book in advance so this is your chance to to do something to get around the covid crisis
11: yeah absolutely and that's kind of in in the recovery plan that that we've put together we've put together in fact i've got it here this um, emerge document where mm. we share this with the industry um, nationwide really not just wolverhampton the black Country but it's important that, um, you know, the hotels, venues, attractions, stadiums now are all planning for this emergence, which they are all doing in the background. But what we need for our region right now, because this is such a challenging time for everybody, but for certainly that hospitality sector, it's been hit really hard. And we can all make a difference by supporting it now. We need to all emerge out of this. And you can do that by if your company books, conference, meetings, events, training sessions, gala dinners, um, sales meetings, any of that, then book them now. Um, The venues are being really flexible on cancellation charges because I know that that's one of the concerns, but how about if we do book for October or November or even next year, what about if we have to cancel because of something like this? Well, the cancellation terms are being really flexible. So, you know, I urge anybody that's needing to book those events book them now, ready for the future. Don't be worried about doing that
1: and we talked about some of your favourite bits of the area, uh, and I know you work closely with the grand amount obviously Molyneux too, and uh, the 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 race course and obviously all of these are venues that have different sizes they can accommodate. But equally, there's the opportunity for smaller uh, companies and venues to get involved. And if somebody out there has an offering that normally may have been full and now they're worried about what's going to happen, become part of the collective and and talk to you about getting involved with the bigger picture.
11: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we we mentioned, like, the race course and and the theatre having this massive capacity. Um, And we also work with the Four Star Mount Hotel as well. But also, you know, your meeting might only be a... Small meeting. We also work with Casino 36. So, you know, what a unique venue that is. Mm-hmm. It's not all about gambling, it's a great venue. Uh, you know, the champagne bar is just lovely for a small, intimate meeting. Absolutely superb. So, we do have something for, for everyone, for sure we do.
1: Yeah, cost effective yeah. meeting space and uh, time to think about getting people together. There will be a need to get people together. And equally, you'll be needed to think about social distancing and it could be your own work environment isn't able to cope with that so easily as ensuring that all your delegates are at least two metres apart. And I think that's going to go on for some time as well. So, you know, it is about thinking about a venue that you can use, where you can use it safely. And you've got the professionals who are there, part of the hygiene team, making sure that there is deep cleaning between events Um, and make it simpler for your workspace by using somewhere outside.
11: Yeah, absolutely. And all of that work is currently going on at every single hotel venue, stadium. That is all going on in the background now. For example, um, just this week, actually, um, the Mount Hotel in Technol, um, they've got ne- new processes that they'll be launching in readiness for, for reopening, including this massive investment that they have for um, thermal imaging cameras, mm-hmm. which will capture... Um, 30 people at any one time entering uh, the building, and it will identify anybody that has a temperature. Now, yes, there's lots of other symptoms um, for coronavirus, but just by identifying that, will give confidence that all the guests, are, you know, that they'll be identified and then they can be stopped. And it's great for that guest as well. Um, because they can then seek any medical help that they, they may or may not need. So, you know, there's a massive investment, a massive investment going on. And, you know, and just really going back to the theatre, um, you know, a lot of people have been disappointed about, you know, the shows that have had to either be cancelled or rescheduled. Um, but one thing that they're doing is they are selling vouchers. Um, so buy those vouchers, make great Christmas presents, birthday presents. And also when there's a show that you want to see next year you will have already paid for it yeah you know the, the the grand is also um, a charity um so it's it's so vital that we support them and just also when we we're talking about booking um conference meetings and events um we have to appreciate that many of the staff currently are on furlough well that's what we're here for if you have an inquiry please do send that inquiry through to us. We are in, in touch with with our, with our partners so we can get that inquiry through to them and get a proposal to you. It may take a little bit longer than normal, but we will get that proposal to you. So don't think, well, you know, I've tried to call that venue and the phone's just ringing out. We've been working throughout.
1: Okay, well, do that, get in touch and of course, find out more about the work that you're doing. You have a Facebook page, so you want to search on there for Destination Wolverhampton and the Black Country. Where else can we get in touch with you?
11: Um, Also on Twitter, so do follow us on there. Um, So again, that's uh, Destination W underscore BC. But if you just put Destination Wolverhampton, the black country, you'll find us there. And just while we're talking about social media, I'm often asked, how can we support you? Obviously financial, but it's not all about that. Do you know what? Every share, every tag, every retweet, every follow is valuable. The more the, the, the more people that do that, the bigger the reach, the bigger the result will be. So, you know, if I can use this as a, as a plea, really, to everyone, whether you're in the industry, whether you book events, whether you don't book events, just support our region by following us, tagging us, um, resharing us, um, talking about us, telling people to get in touch. It will make a difference. And, of course, um, people are very welcome as well to um, send me an email or give me a call. Um, I'm open to all of that. It's fine.
1: Give us your email address and phone number then, please.
11: Jan.denning at destinationwolverhampton.com. OK. And my telephone number, which will come directly to me, is 0779 nine six seven two it'd be great to hear from you
1: but it's always good to have a, a catch-up and find out what's going on uh we look forward to seeing more events taking place in our region once we can get everything back up and running and uh, whatever state or, or form it is there'll be a way in the midlands that we can do it because more the black country we're very resourceful like that for now jan denning thank you for joining us
11: thank you thanks for the opportunity it's been great thank you <music>
1: Well that's all that for this week, thank you so much for joining us back with episode 571 and if all goes to plan it will be a bit of a special theatre show next week. I'll see you then, t'arra for now. Goodbye from the mail
0: bar Goodbye from the mail bar Goodbye from the mail bar Goodbye from the mail bar, yeah Goodbye from the mail bar, yeah.